This is our third message in this particular lesson. The first one was some introductory things and looking at Moses and his trips to the uh, Sinai and the big deal that was. Uh, Last week we looked at the first aspect of the law, of the moral law, and that's the law relating to Israel's relationship Israel's relationship with God and the first four commandments. And tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the the final six commandments and uh, look at the law relating to Israel's relationship with man or with with Israel, with each other. And uh, so hopefully this will be a blessing to you. Um, Sometimes I think the law gets a little bit of um, uh, a bad slant from Christians, you know, because we want so much to make sure we don't uh, rely upon the law for salvation. We kind of just want to hide it and say it's not worth anything. Uh, But that's not true because the Bible itself tells us that the law is good. The law is spiritual. Amen. Uh, Now, if we wouldn't have sinned, uh, we wouldn't even know what God's talking about in in these particular laws. But because we are transgressors and sinners, uh, God gave us these Ten Commandments so that He could show us some things about Himself, how holy He is, but also how sinful we are, and that our God requires a moral life. He requires holiness in our lives. And uh, that's where today I think the law has kind of missed, or we're, we're not holding it where it ought to be. Um, you know, I understand he wants, he wants to do it in our hearts. He doesn't want to have to put it on the table of stone. He wants us to, to automatically follow him, uh, be spirit-led. And that's what it's all about. But yet, God still requires us to live a certain kind of life, a moral life. And uh, I think today what's happening is a lot of churches are just basically saying, oh, we're living in the age of grace, so it doesn't really matter, and they can live the way they want, and, you know, and just kind of uh, belittling the law and the place it has in our life. And I, I understand that. I'm not saying we ought to have the Ten Commandments in front of our face all day long because it's far beyond that for a believer. It's a, spiritual, a spirit-filled life, and it's about walking close to Him every day. But yet the representation of that law is so important that God is a holy God and mankind is sinful, and we've got to make decisions to, to uh, follow the Lord. And so basically I'm going to look, I'm going to read Exodus 20, 12 to 17, look at these last commandments here. And then we'll just look at some of these things and see if that it just helps us in our own lives and how we can maybe uh, keep our eye on certain things in our own personal walk as well. Verse 12, it says, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Let's pray. Father, I just ask you, Lord, that you would just guide me as I teach this tonight. And Lord, just help us to make it practical for us uh, so we can just learn to live a better life, uh, one that's more pleasing to you, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And I think one of the, and this is something we've hit over and over in this series, one of the major things that God is doing with Israel at this time is trying to prepare them for the will of God for their life. And in order for that to happen, they needed to understand some things. They needed to understand 
who he was. And so basically it all comes down to knowing him. And that's a part of Mount Sinai, is knowing that aspect of God. And it's a part of God that people don't give much uh, thought to today. But that God is still God. Amen. That one that shook the mountain and came down with the lightning and the thunder and said, don't touch the border of that mount lest you die. That God is still God, and that's Jesus Christ. And I understand he came down as a lamb, uh, led to the slaughter. But don't think for a second, does does that mean that he changed who he is? Uh, He is just as holy as he was that day, and yet he's extended his mercy towards us in love. Amen? But let's not take that love and now belittle his holiness. You know, we have to take the whole package here. I mean, it's like someone would come to me and start telling me about one of my sons and totally get it off. Doesn't that get you angry when somebody tries to uh, tell you about a family member and they're totally off? They're just totally, like you don't even know who you're talking about here. I mean, what more than about God? Amen. I mean, when somebody starts talking about God, it ought to just kind of, this ain't right, you know? These people that talk about Jesus coming in the biker bar with them and having a beer or whatever, that's not the Jesus we believe in. Uh, he doesn't sit down in the bars and drink beer and, and carouse with the, with the partiers. That's not what God does. Amen? He wouldn't do that. If he'd be in there, he'd be there to clean house, I'm sure. Amen? Anyways... Um, We know that the two greatest commandments that the Lord has given us is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, body, mind, and so forth. And the second is like unto it, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. And I'll read you these verses. Leviticus 19.18, it says, Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love the neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. So it's interesting. No grudges. uh, You know, no avenging. No revenge, you know. So in other words, revenge and avenging people, that's not loving them. Amen. Uh, Matthew twenty two thirty nine. 39, it says, And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And that's what these last six commandments have to do with. How you love people. Amen. Uh, Romans 13, 9, this is a great passage of scripture. Why don't you pull that up there, Ben? Do you have it up on the screen at all? I know he's probably busy doing other things, but it says... Romans 13, 9, For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. This is New Testament, by the way. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Amen. So does it apply today? Absolutely it applies today. The fulfillment of it is different. That's why I said about the children of Israel, when they got the law, they, they got exactly what they ought to get. And when God says, will you obey this? They said, yes, we will. And in Deuteronomy says, they well said that we will obey. It was the right answer. But the problem is they received the standard to live, but they didn't receive the ability to live it. And that's the problem. See, the love aspect, even though that was commanded, in fact, in Deuteronomy, all over the place, and in Leviticus, always talked about loving God. But that's the fulfillment, amen? But the problem is, we need to be spirit-filled to love. It's a fruit of the spirit, amen? It's not a fruit of the flesh. Your flesh cannot make that happen. It's got to be Christ in you and through you. That's how we fulfill the law. And that's why you can just capsulate that into a couple of commands. Love the Lord thy God 
and love thy neighbor as thyself. And so uh, once we see, uh, we see once again that love is the answer for obedience to God's law. If one loves people, he will never place himself before the needs of others. He will sacrifice of himself for others. That is the example we saw with Jesus Christ when he came and died upon the cross. He gave up of himself for others. That, my friend, is fulfillment of the law completely. So the first commandment here, let's move quickly. I don't want <laughs> to do a fourth lesson, amen? Letter A, honor thy father and thy mother. Um, to honor, in this context in the Hebrew, it has a connotation to it, to make heavy, to make heavy. So this is valuing our parents heavily, taking what they say with a lot of weight, amen? Uh, see, when you're married, or when you're, before you're married, you're a child in the home, obey your mother and father. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, it says that. That means submitted obedience. Whatever they say, you do. Take out the garbage, clean your room, make your bed. Uh, what else do we have here, parents? What are you being trying to tell your kids to do? <laughs> clean up your toys. All of those, eat your vegetables. That's, brush your teeth, we're, we're, we're going to go all night. <laughs> you understand that? Obeying your parents is, it's not just, well, you know, if, it, if it's a biblical command, then I'll obey you. No, the only way you can disobey your parents is if they're trying to get you to go against a biblical command. But other than that, you obey everything, including eating the vegetables. You know what? Well, words will say, thou shalt eat your vegetables. <laughs> It says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. You know what it's saying there? Eat your vegetables. Amen. Take out the garbage. That's exactly what it's saying. But guess what? The Bible tells us now we got our honeymooners back, amen? And, and so they're, they're, in a new, they're in a new stage of life now. They don't have to obey Dad anymore. I can go to Seth and say, Seth, you need to do this. He's, well, maybe. <laughs> and you know what? It's not rebellion. Because you know what? He, he should weigh heavily what I say, but he's, he, the Bible says to leave and to cleave. So the Lord has established a new home underneath his leadership. And I have to get out of the way for God to be able to do in their home what God wants to do. And if I get in the way, I'll actually mess up what God's trying to do. And then God will have to deal with me. Amen. And that's why many times marriages are under a lot of pressure because of, of in-laws, uh, parents that don't get their nose out of their business. Amen. We ought to be there to help, be a blessing. And of course, a parent will always be a parent. They will sacrifice. They will give. They will do whatever they can for their kids. But guess what? That doesn't mean that they have to obey you. But I gave you a hundred bucks. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It was a good gift. <laughs> Amen. Do you understand that? Leave and cleave. That is such a vital principle in marriage. And so that means that even though I don't have to obey, I still need to honor, to weigh heavily. That means when mom and dad come to visit, I need to listen to what they got to say. And you know what? My father too. Uh, you know, I've been married for several years now, you know. But my dad says something, I shut my mouth and I listen because he has gone through a lot and there's things that he says that will help me and help us. He even, he talks to my boys. They're in business now and so forth. And he gives them advice. 
because he's a businessman. And so they weigh heavily, you know. It's just important to honor your parents, honor even your grandparents, you know, and the things they've gone through. And so honoring is good. It means to make heavy, to weigh heavily what they have to say. Number two, this is the first commandment that was given with a promise. And this, of course, we're seeing here with obedience in Ephesians 6, 1 to 3. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Wow. So how does that work? How, how is it that it could be well with me just because I honor my parents? That tells you how close to the heart of God this commandment really is. It's important to him because he knows your relationship to your parents is next to your relationship with him. And many people are bitter against their parents. They have no respect for their parents. And you be careful. He says, if you don't honor them, say, well, they make all kinds of mistakes. You know what? Sure they do. But that doesn't mean you don't honor them. You always honor them. But they're, they're off on their doctrine. Honor them. <laughs> Amen. Just because they're off on doctrine doesn't mean you don't honor them. You love them and honor them. You weigh heavily their place in your life and you sacrifice. The Bible talks about First Timothy. It talks about how that, uh, you know, you're worse than an infidel if you don't take care of your parents after you're married and after they're older. We're supposed to take care of them. Amen. Oh, let's just ship them off to a home somewhere, <laughs> you know. Well, I'm not saying that anybody that does that is wrong, you know, but the fact of the matter is there ought a lot of contemplation to be given to how you can best take care of your parents, and it ought not be just the fact of let's just try to get them off of our backs. That it may be well with you. I respect someone who gives a part of their life to take care of their parents because their parents gave their life to take care of them. Sounds like a good principle in Scripture, doesn't it? <laughs> In fact, the Lord tells us that, hey, because I gave myself for you, why don't you give yourself for me? I died for you, so why don't you die to yourself for me? And you know what? He doesn't force us to. He gives us a choice. That it may be well with you. Amen? So there's a close tie with these principles and the relationship that we ought to have with God. And I think that if we don't treat our parents right, it's really a reflection of our walk with God. Amen? And that's why it's the first commandment given with a promise and that it may be well with you and your life that you, may, that you may live long on the earth. It doesn't mean you're going to guarantee a long life. I mean, uh, missionaries have gone to the mission field and died at the age of 30. You know, Jim Elliott and men like that, they, it's not because they're disobedient to their parents. <laughs> but what it does mean is that you will live the life that God wants you to live. You know how many people die too soon? Now, you're not going to know that down here. In fact, that's why nobody talks about it much. But in heaven, there's going to be a lot of talk about it. <laughs> I wonder how many people you talk to and say, yeah, I died about 20 years soon, too soon. I would have had 20 more years if I would have done what God asked me to do. Think about that. Or is it just all up in the air, just a gamble? <laughs> no, sir. This, this promise tells us right here that it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long on the earth. Amen. So there's promises here. So we ought to take that and fear the Lord and, and live according to these, to these scriptures. Amen. Uh, letter B, thou shalt not kill. To kill in this context is to slay someone. All right. 
want to talk a little bit about this because in the King James Bible, today you're, you know, you got people that are attacking the King James Bible left and right, you know, and, and the fact of the matter is, uh, <laughs> the people that are doing it, they themselves don't believe there's a perfect preserved word of God. And I don't know if that's the reason why they're attacking it, because you say there is. Uh, they're trying to disprove it. They're trying to make it that there's error. There can be corrections. You could fix it. Man, f- over 400 years have passed, and it can be fixed. I've heard preachers these days, like this year. Oh, yeah, it could be done better. 400 years have passed. It could be better. They've written hundreds of different versions, and yet the King James Bible is still the King James Bible. You understand that? It's, it's very important. You want to close that door there, guys. All right. And so to kill means to murder, to slay, to kill. The taking of a human life is the primary concept behind this word. It is used to indicate a premeditated murder. All right. A slaying. Now, number two, the word kill is the best translation of rasa because there's much killing today that should be called murder and it is not. So here you got this Hebrew word, and this is where the attack is. They say, oh, it shouldn't say, it shouldn't say thou shalt not kill. It should say thou shalt not commit murder. Now we know in the New Testament, Jesus reader reiterates, translated from the Greek, where he said thou shalt not do murder. <laughs> Amen. So he defines the commandment in the New Testament. But what they're saying is, that you got to go back now and change all the time it says kill to murder for it to be accurate. Now, I think there's a reason why God gave us kill instead of murder. Because they say, well, thou shalt not kill. That means you can't kill an ant. You can't kill a fly. I mean, you're disobeying. The... <laughs> this is where it takes a brain. This is where it takes context. This is where it takes study. To know what the Bible's actually saying. Because if you're going to look at it like that, you're going to be in big trouble with a lot of the word of God. Not just the word kill. And so, only things thou shalt not murder. Okay? What happens when we get so accustomed to abortion, it's no longer murder. What happens when uh, we're so accustomed to euthanasia? Well, you know, their life is over anyways. They're going to die in a year. And we get used to that. And you know what? Our, our consciences are becoming seared to these things. And, and it's spreading throughout the whole earth. More and more. They're killing people. They're murdering them. You ever seen somebody try to convince somebody that's for abortion that it's murder? Oh, no way. They're so convinced it's not murder. That's why it's like this. God sometimes gives us a word in the Bible that's this wide. And it's referring to something this wide. And the reason why he leaves it wide is because it has far more application than just the one word that you're going at. I was talking to a brother on last night. It's like I had this pr- a preacher one time. He said to me, oh yeah, there's errors in the King James because Second Thessalonians, he who letteth will let. You know, it's talking about the restraining of the Holy Spirit or the church or whatever God is referring to in that passage, restraining the evil tide where the Antichrist cannot rise to power. So he who now letteth will let. So they say, well, that word letteth shouldn't be there. It should be restraining. So what you have is a a word letteth, which 
which incorporates a meaning that's this wide. And they're saying, no, it ought to be restrained, meaning that they want to put in a word that means that's this wide. Restraining, what do you think of restraining? What's involved? Effort and holding something back. But now if I say he who let, what's involved in the word let? Sure, restraining, sure it's restraining, but it's more than that. It also means that I'm in control, that I have the power to either allow it or not. See, you got a, a meaning that's this wide, and the devil's trying to get us to take a part of that definition and place that in there instead of the wide meaning of the word. Because the, the narrower you get, the less application. The less application. So in the Hebrew, thou shalt not kill. <laughs> It incorporates anything that is slaying another human being. Now we go down to murder. Well, aborting babies isn't murder. It's my right. Euthanasia. All these different things. <laughs> the Lord knows exactly what he's doing when he gives us his word. And I'm, I'm, I'm telling you something. I'm sick and tired of preachers that think they know more than God. Yes, sir. I have a presupposition. I've told you that word before. You know what a presupposition is? That means that there's just some things I always just presuppose. And that is God's word is right and I'm wrong. Now, if you don't have that presupposition, you're in serious trouble. Because you are going to be questioning the word of God sooner or later. But as long as you got a presupposition, you're saying, no. And somebody says, yeah, but this Greek, this... I'm sorry, it's pretty well settled for me. I'm not changing my mind. Amen. Amen. In fact, you know what? Um, powerful and effective Bible study has everything to do with presuppositions. If you don't have presuppositions in your Bible study, I'm going to tell you something. You're going to make all kinds of errors in the truth that you're going to pull out of that passage. So presuppositions are vitally important. Amen. And so... When I see the Bible and says, thou shalt not kill, and someone says, oh no, it should say, thou shalt not commit murder, even before I study it, you know what I'll say? You're wrong. Well, explain it to me. Well, I don't know right now, but all I know is this, it's right. <laughs> Do you understand that? Do you think that we could be that bold with God's word? That we can just say, you know, what God says is what he meant? Or is everything now subject to man's error? Well, if that's truth, and I've said this before, if I had to sit here and guess whether kill was the right word or murder, I would not be your preacher behind this pulpit. I might be sitting out there. I might be. But if I'm going to sit here and have to hear somebody say, yea, hath God said... I'd, better, I'd be way better off going for coffee at Tim Hortons. You understand that? I'm not interested in preachers talking about, yea, hath God said. That's what the devil tried telling Adam and Eve. Yea, hath, did he really say that? That is not my place as a preacher. The prophets of old, they said one phrase, thou, thus saith the Lord, that is the only thing that comes out of a child of God's mouth, 
Thus saith the Lord, and when you start operating in that other realm, yea, hath God said, you've changed sides. You've changed sides. And you know what? You'll have people, smart people, argue with you, <laughs> folks. You need to understand something. Your faith has, you have to start from a philosophy of faith in your life. In other words, when you meet God, he didn't say, for without intellect, it's impossible to please me. No, I could be dumb as a sack of hammers and please God. <laughs> you understand that? A sack of hammers ain't too smart. What are they doing in the sack? <laughs> Amen. You understand that? So that means, for without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if I don't have faith, I can't please him. I can put whatever else I want in there. All the world says that makes you wonderful and great and powerful and effective. And if I would change that word faith for one of those words, God says, you're not pleasing me. So this is what I'm saying. When I meet God one day, it's got to be the foundation of faith. That's where it begins. That's a presupposition. Do you understand? You're going to let... You're going to go out there in the world and deal with Christians and the ministry and you're going to hold all this stuff up in the air like you're juggling truth or something like that. Folks, you might as well get back, just go back to your home church and sit in the back row. Because there's no way you can stand behind a pulpit like this <laughs> unless you already have settled these things. And it doesn't mean you have all the answers. It doesn't. But it doesn't mean that you need to have all the answers. And that's the, the straw man argument that they try to set up for you. Because you don't know, that means that you cannot know. I say, no, no. I've got a faith base here. So I know some things without knowing. Amen? Because that's how I please God. And if I have to, and I have to understand it all before I do it, <laughs> well, we'll do very little. Amen? But it'll never be faith, and I'll never please God. The children of Israel, when they crossed the Red Sea, you can't tell me for a second they understood what was happening. It was just a faith decision. <laughs> Even the fact that it's already, the sea is already split, and he says, walk through. Even the decision it would take to walk along that ground would have been a faith decision. Because it doesn't make sense that wall stands up like a wall, uh, water stands up like a wall. And the fact that if it's going to stand that way until I get to the other side <laughs> is another question I have, you know. So what if halfway through, well, yeah, that's what the Egyptians should have asked. <laughs> because they didn't have faith. And that's what happens when you don't have faith. The wall does come down. Amen? Anyways, so the word kill causes us to apply God's principles to ascertain the context. That is what the word kill does. But immediately if I zero in on the word and I say I'm going to make this as tight as possible and just make, make it mean exactly what I think it means, now I no longer have to apply all the principles to find what that word is referring to. It's, it's lazy Bible study. You understand what I mean? <laughs> Sometimes God leads it broad because he's saying, I want you to figure out 
what sliver I'm referring to here. Because you're supposed to be a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But we're living in a lazy age where these people have rewritten the Bible because it's just too hard to understand. So sure, they're going to go in there and say, well, let's just make it, make it make sense for everybody so that they can see it exactly the way I see it. Well, God says, no. I want them to find the answer. And when they do, they'll understand that I'm not talking about stepping on an ant or shooting a bird out of the sky because I can apply other principles of the scripture to that. As I go to the Psalms and I talk about the fowler and I talk about all these different things, it teaches me what I can kill and what, what I cannot kill. Amen? That's how we become Bible students. <laughs> Amen? But if we got to rewrite the Bible to give it its exact meaning that you want to understand in that passage, well, then you might as well not even study. So, wide, sometimes wide words that have a very specific meaning but he wants you to get there through your Bible study, through applying principles. That's how you grow. Part of the growth aspect of a believer is just is learning how to study to get the answer. Amen? That's where my greatest benefit has come from, is the labor. Amen? It's like when you work your job and you're, you're laboring on your job, where do you get your strength from? Finishing it? No, you get it from doing it. Amen? Now, when you finish it, you're happy and you say, wow, this is great. But guess what? If you've become stronger or wiser or more intellectual or, or more knowledgeable about your craft or whatever it is, it's not because you finished it. It's because you did it. Amen? You understand what I'm saying there? So maybe God's smarter than man. <laughs> maybe we ought to just let God be God then and just believe what he has given us in his word. Amen? Let her see, thou shalt not commit adultery. Adultery is an act of unfaithfulness to God and our spouse. Just like honoring our father and mother, what we have here is a very finely intertwined relationship with our God that is reflected in our marriage relationships. And so when our marriage relationships are not in line with the principles of Scripture, God takes it personally. He says, this is very serious to me because I have established this institution and I've established marriage and we've got to keep it within, its, within, within the way that I've designed it to be because that's how I get glorified through it. Amen? And when we mess with it, God messes with us. It's true. Amen? There's no blessing that way. And so, number one, adultery is an act of unfaithfulness to God and our spouse. James 4, verse 4, this is the the connection here it says ye adulterers and adulteresses know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with god whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of god do you think that the scripture saith in vain the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth through envy and so here he's giving us uh, a, a analogy of adultery when it comes to us loving this world. And he's saying, when you love this world, I look at you as an adulterer or as an adulteress. Wow. (laughs) 
So this is more than just in the context of marriage. <laughs> We're talking about our relationship with God. And so when we look at our marriages in such a way where we're willing to sacrifice them for our own sexual desires and things like that, folks, you can be sure that God is not pleased. And there may be more following that. <laughs> Serious stuff. Serious stuff. Oh, well, the law doesn't matter. Well, <laughs> I, we just read a passage that shows us that this law does matter. It does matter. It does reflect our relationship with God. It does reflect our love for others. Amen? Not only are we willing to throw ourselves out of the frying pan into the fire, but we're willing to take somebody with us and their children and everything they could have been. Why? For me, 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 me. That is so opposite <laughs> of what Christ did on the cross. It's not even funny. Amen? That's why it's important for us to understand this law. Number two, the consequence of adultery by law was death in the Old Testament. Now, it's not like that anymore. And that's why it's running rampant, by the way. Amen? It's running rampant because there's no consequence as far as the civil law is concerned. Now, I'm not saying we ought to have you know, death. We know there's civil law that, that God gave Israel that is not going to apply to us. And we know that our governments are not going to live by the Old Testament Israelite law. But what we do learn is, this is how God looks at it. He's the one who wrote the law for Israel. Now, what was he trying to do? Why was he wanting them to follow a law like this? Why would he want them to not have adultery? Well, number one, it's a reflection of his relationship with the people themselves. And that's not the end of it. The next thing is, he was bringing them into a land where they were supposed to be a light to the Gentiles. They were supposed to be a testimony to the world. And that's something that's been forgotten today with God's people. I can't be. I can't be if I'm living within this sin. All right? Now, we'll look at it. It's wonderful that we can be forgiven. <laughs> Amen. We've got a good God. So Leviticus 10 verse 20, or 20 verse 10 says, And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. And by the way, that's what was happening when, um, when Jesus, when that, that adulterous woman was brought to Jesus and they were going to stone her to death. They were simply following Leviticus chapter 20 verse number 10. Now, why wouldn't Jesus let them do it then? Because... That wasn't what he was trying to get across. And in fact, that's not what he's trying to get across to us right now. That we're supposed to take the first adulterer we find and go kill him with the other stone, stone him with stones. Otherwise, if that's all it was, then we ought to. But I'm glad it, says, <laughs> glad it isn't, amen. That'd make a pastor's job real tough. Yeah. Letter three, number three. Marriage is honored by God, therefore adultery brings divine judgment. Hebrews 13, verse 4, it says this, Marriage is honorable in all, highly valued to God, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Not much left up to chance there. Judgment will follow the adulterer, the whoremonger. 
That's the New Testament, by the way. Amen. That's close to the end of the New Testament, by the way. <laughs> you know, we can't even say that was the Gospels and it doesn't apply. Oh, it's written to the Jews. It doesn't apply. <laughs> yeah, sure. You can talk about that when you meet them. <laughs> Amen. We can never look at adultery as acceptable simply because it's legal. And that's what's happening. Well, it's legal. You know what's legal today? They're giving out crack pipes in Toronto to teenagers. A teenager can go to one of these places in Toronto and get a, a new crack pipe from the government because it's legal. We've had cannabis stores set up all over our communities. I mean, you, gotta, you, you walk, drive down the road, every street you're on, you'll find a cannabis store. Now, when I grew up, that used to be illegal. <laughs> and you were a very bad person when you got involved with that. But now, all of a sudden, it's not so bad. Very subjective morality going on in this world, <laughs> amen. Not too, much, not too much objectiveness anymore. But just because adultery is being looked at as acceptable doesn't mean it is with God. Okay? Now, he's not going to want us to throw stones at anybody that is. But he wants us to honor what he honors. And that is vitally important for us. And that's why we take a lot of time with our young people, making sure they're marrying the right person, making sure they understand. When you say, I do, that means I'm done. <laughs> Amen? I always tell folks, I'll go to one wedding. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Better make it a good one. <laughs> Amen. Amen? Better make it a good one. And I've had family members, people that are close to me in family, you know, my nieces and nephews, married more than once, Oh, please come. No. No. And you know what? That's the best thing I can do for them. Oh, but they're not going to like you. Now, if I cared, if that's all we cared about is how people like you, then you should do everything everybody wants you to do. <laughs> but if you care about their souls, if you love them and love your neighbor, then you obey the law. Then you do what's right. And don't let the devil get in there with his little arguments and reasonings. Well, this is why it's okay for me to disobey. I'm sorry, you are wrong. And you're going to meet God one day. And he's going to show you how really wrong you are. And not only that, he's going to show you everything that you gave up. Because you looked at his word the wrong way. All the blessing. <laughs> Think about this. This life. We get this period of time. This life is but a vapor, appears for a little while, vanishes away. This one time, we can actually please God by faith. After this life is over, you will never please God by faith again. Never. So that means when your last breath is made, no longer will you be able to please God by believing Him without seeing Him. That's why it's such an amazing thing to God when we obey without seeing. One kick at the can here. <laughs> this little, folks, vapor, <laughs> vapor, eternity. Can we not give God our vapor? Can we not follow God with our vapor, our little vapor that we have here? And just say, you know what, I'm just going to obey God with this little vapor I have 
And don't let the devil steal away your whole life, that little vapor. And that little vapor is going to translate into huge things to follow. If we'll do right. Amen. Amen. Every crown we get is just that little vapor. Think about it. Proverbs 6.32, But whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. That's a part of the damage. You're destroying your own mind, will, and emotions. Proverbs 6.27 says, Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burnt? Can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burnt? So he that goeth into his neighbor's wife, whoso toucheth her shall not be innocent. Oh, what's the big deal? We'll get away with it. He says, in the same way that if you will walk upon hot coals and burn your feet, that's what's going to happen when you mess with that person. As real as that heat is to your feet is going to be the judgment that God's going to bring into your life and the damage to your own soul. Wow. <laughs> that's if you believe God's word, though. You know, Unless it's just, uh, you know, a little manual that we can just go by. Well, you know, we'll pick and choose. Or it's God really said this. Is it, thus saith the Lord, or ye hath God said. That's really where we're at. We're, who are listening to here, you know? Number four, marrying someone that is married is committing adultery. Amen. Mark 10, 11, he saith unto them, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marrieth another committeth adultery against her. Number five, adultery begins with a lust in the heart. This is where it all begins. All adulteries come from your heart. Well, you don't understand. It just happened. No, it didn't. It started from something in your heart. Something was off. You did it. You make the decision. And you probably made the decision before you met that person. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Number six, adultery can be forgiven. John 8, 10, when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? Isn't it that hath no man condemned thee? <laughs> See, because men were never supposed to be the condemners. It's only God. God condemns. And then he says, she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. When he said, neither do I, he says, neither do I as God. He came on the earth, and when he healed that sick of the palsy, remember they lowered him through the roof? He says, thy sins be forgiven thee. (gasps) Blasphemy! He says, what's easier to say, take up thy bed and walk, or, or thy sins be forgiven thee? In other words, he's saying, if I have the power to take a man of the palsy and and bring him back to complete health, don't you think I'm the same God that can forgive him of his sins? In fact, they knew that. They had that in their books. They knew exactly what to expect when the Messiah came. They just chose to neglect it and think it was some kind of a parlor trick when really this was true. And they they didn't allow themselves to believe it was true. But they knew what the Messiah meant. Letter D, thou shalt not steal. To steal is to carry away deceitfully what does not belong to you. To deceive, carry away, secretly bring 
get by stealth, it says in the definition. <laughs> Amen. Uh, many times, I guess people are bold enough to steal these days. They'll just walk up to your car and give me your car and so forth. But yet, many times it's under, behind, underneath the scenes. Little things we do to get for ourselves when we shouldn't be. That can mean a whole bunch of things. It's not just stealing a car. That's cheating on your taxes. That's you know, not paying back somebody that borrowed you money. Uh, anything. Anything you take that's not yours. That's why we, we very much encourage people, if you've made debt, pay it off. Well, you understand there's a government program. I don't care what program there is. Pay, do, pay your debts. Pay your debts. Pay your debts. Amen? You'll be the better person for it. But it's going to take so long. Well, yeah. Jesus did a lot for you. You need to take it seriously, obeying the laws of God. Amen? Now, you can say, well, I'm going to take the program. And you can. And you'll get away with it. And everything will just be great. But can I tell you something? You're not here just to get by with stuff. You know why you're here, right? To enter the promised land. You're, enter, you're here to go within the boundaries of the promised land so you can become that nation that has an impact on the world. So for that to happen, we need to take these things to the degree that the Lord says we're supposed to take them. Amen? And just because the government has a program or they call it legal or whatever they call it, it really does not matter. We go by the book. And it's amazing what you have, you have people looking at sometimes. They know you could have done it legally some other way, but they also know you did it according to Scripture, and that's what spoke to their heart. That's the light that shines. Amen? Otherwise, you're just doing what everybody else does. People outside of the boundaries of the land, <laughs> you know, they do it all the time. They take care of the debts all kinds of ways, but they don't take care of it like God's people do. You understand what I mean? Thou shalt not steal. Stealing is an offense against the Lord as our provider. Think about that. Proverbs 30 verse 7 says, Two things have I required of thee. Deny them not before I die. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. Lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? You know, because that's what happens in rich societies. We don't need God. We got everything we need. God is chalked up to one hour on Sunday morning. But this is, or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. So stealing is taking the Lord's name in vain. How is that? What does that have to do with the Lord if I take something? Well, because he's the one that promised you, I will take care of you. Take no thought for your life. Be careful for nothing. And then I go steal to get something. I have now taken the name of the Lord my God in vain. Amen? So it's more than just doing a, breaking a law. All of these laws have to do with our relationship with God. Every last one of them, you know? So when we're messing with the laws of God, we're messing with God himself. Amen? Number three, stealing for any reason should require restitution. 
Proverbs 6 verse 30 says, Men do not despise a thief if he steal to satisfy his soul when he is hungry. Think about that. But if he be found, he shall restore sevenfold. He shall give all the substance of his house. So today people think, well, if you steal because you're hungry, that's okay. We don't think that's a bad thing. But God says, if you do and you get found out, you should give up all the substance of your house. Yeah, well, what about the compassion? <laughs> That's what they would say. Well, it is compassion. It shows a, a heart that's in tune with God. Zacchaeus restored fourfold. Remember when Jesus found him, or he was up on the tree and he was looking down at Jesus there, and he said, today I'll come to your house. Luke 19, 8, And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. He, he knew that he stole. He, know, he, he knew he took from the poor what he shouldn't have taken. And tax collectors were notorious for this, especially in the first century. Amen. They, they were allowed to. As long as you get us this much from the Roman government, you give us our cut. Whatever you give above that, get above that, that's yours to take home. Well, then why not get double? And they'd become rich. That's why, you know, Matthew, it was, it was a publican and a tax collector. They were looked down upon by the regular Hebrew people because they stole from them a lot. Amen? And that's why Jesus was looked down upon when he went and had supper with Matthew and his friends because they were thieves. Amen? The restitution. So if we've stolen, we ought to get it right. Number four, the Lord desires his people to sacrificially give, not secretly steal. In Ephesians 4, 28, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. And there again, we see that relationship with Christ and the cross and what he did for us. So when we steal, we are working against the very thing that our life is supposed to represent. Amen? Letter E, and finally, we're done. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Number one, bearing false witness is giving a false report and is wicked, the Bible says in Exodus 23.1. Thou shalt not raise a false report, Put not thine hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. Wow. Oh, we would never do that. <laughs> Folks, if there's one that you see in the church, this is it. At least most pastors know it is. <laughs> Amen. It's a wicked thing. It's a wicked thing. A false witness, or letter number two, a false witness is an abomination to God. Did I give you that verse, Exodus 23.1? I did, okay. False witness is the abomination of God, Proverbs 6.19. A false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. And it says, and these seven things are an abomination. Hands that shed innocent blood. So those that would kill babies. Abortions. Right alongside of that is this false witness that speaketh lies. Wow. Proud look. Soweth discord among the brethren. That means God trying to bring unity into this church and you're going around 
sowing things into their heart, trying to get people to turn against the preacher or turn against a fellow church member or something like that, that, my friend, is an abomination against God. You don't do that. That's wicked. Amen? That in itself is something to be deal with within the church family. And we think, well, no, just, just a very serious thing. Well, it's an abomination. How much more serious can it get? Amen? Abominations ought to be dealt with. Number three, God promises judgment to the false witness. Proverbs 19, 5, A false witness shall not be unpunished, and he that speaketh lies shall not escape. You think about Ananias and Sapphira. You think about it. It was their stuff. It was their land. It was their money. They didn't have to say a word, and they would have been okay. They wouldn't have to give in their, the money for that land. They could have kept their land. They could have sold the land. They could have kept all the money. They could have bought a new Chevy half done with it. It would have made no difference to God. But the problem was they said something that wasn't true. Why do we do false witness? Why do we, why do we witness falsely? Why is that in the first place? There is a motive behind it. You see throughout the scriptures that false witnesses were risen up by wicked people to speak against people so that they could condemn the righteous or condemn the one that they don't like what they're saying. Naboth, remember him, in order to get his, his vineyard, uh, Jezebel hired people to make a false witness against him and then they went and killed him. Wow, just to get something. Thou shalt not steal. So you break one commandment, you break them all, don't you? <laughs> Ananias and Sapphira. You know what, they, they, saw, they saw Barnabas, the chapter before, selling his land and giving that money to the apostles for the poor. They saw him walk in there, sold the land, took the money. Here, guys, just use it, however you think. And then they saw how people respected Barnabas, son of consolation. They, he even had a special name given to him. And so Ananias is fired. He said, boy, so what's going on here? Pride of life. I'm wanting someone to respect me. And so they try to do the same thing, but the problem is it wasn't in their heart to do. It wasn't a real thing that God had put on their heart to do. They, they just wanted the, they wanted the notoriety. <laughs> and so that's why they were willing to hide the truth. Because it didn't matter what you really did. It just mattered how people look at you. Boy, that is a serious one. <laughs> Amen. And so when they went to Peter, hey, we sold this land and we, we've given it all to you and all. They could have said, we've given you, we're giving you half. And it would have been okay. But it's not as good as saying, I gave it all to you. Boy, they're going to pat us on the back. And the Lord found them out like that false witness, Dead. Then his wife comes in, you think, a little compassion, maybe just let her know, warn her a little bit. No, sir. We're going to find out what's in your heart, too. Now, did you give us all the money? That should have been enough. <laughs> I, was, I was, oh, this guy knows it. <laughs> Jigs up. Did you give all the money? Oh, yeah, all of it. Well, the men that just carried your husband out dead, they're coming to get you. You're going to die, too. <laughs> False witness. That's not a serious law. New Testament. 
New Testament. So you think Ten Commandments are just for the Old Testament? <laughs> uh, the morality of God continues on forever. Now, it's only because of our sin that we know even what adultery is or stealing and so forth. If we never would have sinned, we'd never know. He, he wrote us, thou shalt not commit adultery. You'd say, huh? But it was no, huh? It was, huh? Because <laughs> yeah. we knew our hearts. Amen. The law reflected his holiness. The law exposed our sinfulness. That's what you require from us. Yes. Yes. And they became the foundation for all the civil law. So now the civil law gets given to the children of Israel and God uses those moral principles to guide all the little commandments, the 600 or whatever there is, probably more. Those 10. Amen. If a false witness rises up against any man to testify against him that which is wrong, then both men, between whom the controversy is, shall stand before the Lord, capital L-R-D, before the priests and the judges, which shall be in those days, and the judges shall make diligent inquisition, and behold, if the witness be a false witness, and hath testified falsely against his brother, then shall you do unto him as he had thought to have done unto his brother, so shall thou put the evil away from you. You know, that's not very popular today. But you know, we still have to do this. We still, even in the church, we have to do this. All you have to do is just choose to do right and just tell the truth and be good, amen? But if you've got that false witness in your heart, you're not going to last long. Don't do it. Don't lie. You know, I have to go, probably weekly, I have to deal with some kind of a lie. I had another call today by somebody, and they, this is what's happening. I knew it was a lie. Because nobody in the room, by the way. <laughs> nobody that's coming to our church right now. And uh, just so, so you don't look around on Sunday morning, who is it? <laughs> you know? But you know the thing is? They, they think so lightly of bearing a false witness. I'm just saying, man, just tell me the truth. Like, what am I going to do? <laughs> like, or just don't say anything at all. Just, just be quiet. But somehow people just want to convince you of something. There's a motive behind it. Please don't lie to me. Like, hey, not because I'm something. It's just, why do you disrespect people so much you're willing to just lie to them? It makes you feel dirty feel so disrespectful when people lie to me it's not because i'm a pastor it's because i'm a christian and a person like why do you think so little of people that you just lie to them <laughs> people do it all the time oh this is why i did this this is why i'm going there this is why i can't do that and this is why i can't help you preacher and this don't help then <laughs> but usually it's because you're under conviction that god wants you to do something and you're trying to figure out a way where i can justly not do what God's asked me to do, and it ends up where I become a false witness. Amen. Why do you know so much about that preacher? <laughs> yeah. I'm just like you. Amen. We've all done it. We've all done it. Then shall you do unto him as he had thought to have done unto his brother. So shalt thou put away the evil from among you, and those which remain shall hear and fear, and shall henceforth commit no more any such evil among you. And that was the whole thing about Ananias and Sapphira. 
after God dealt with them in their lies, the Bible says that the fear of the Lord fell upon the church. See, that's why, and Brother Doran knows this as well, that's why you have to deal with sin in the church. It's not because you like it, man. I, I like to run the other way. But you know what the result of that is? People fear God. They say, you know, I'm going to watch myself. But you know what's happening? The preachers are not dealing with sin in the church anymore. I had somebody tell me once, because I was dealing with something, and he looked at me almost with tears in his eyes. He said, Pastor, we're going to be okay. I said, why do you say that? Because we deal with it. He says, I've been in so many churches, they let it go and let it go and let it go until the church is destroyed. Oh, boy, that encouraged me. You don't hear that too often from people. It's mostly like, why are you doing that, preacher? Why are you and then they get on you and try to make you look bad. And just because you're just trying to do right for the church and their family and their children and their grandchildren and the future of the church. You know? Lord, help us. We got to think right about these things. Amen? Nobody enjoys dealing with sin. I can hardly wait till sin is gone. We're going to be in glory. I'm not even going to think about it. Amen? I'm going to say, Lord, can you just wipe that memory? I don't want it. And the Bible says he will. It just take away the tears from your eyes. It's going to be gone. But while we're here, man, we are the front line front line of this church folks i love it <laughs> i love it so much i will sacrifice myself upon it and anything that anybody's got to say but they can just go ahead and say it but we're just going to continue doing the right thing and throw me under the bus if you want hey getting used to it I've got tire tracks on my back <laughs> amen all i know is thou shalt love the lord thy god with all thy heart and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. No false witness. No stealing. No adultery. God help you. You be messing with people in this church. God help you. Amen. Ain't gonna happen. Hey folks, we're here to help. We'll always help somebody in sexual bondage no matter what it is. And we've proved that. But it will not go. It will not happen. Amen. It will be stopped. And that's because we love God. And that's because we love people. No matter what people say about us. We've got to deal with it. Amen.